This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Judice. This is your day in court on Extra 1063. My name is Tug Coward, along with renowned lawyers Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. We're going to talk about um, the uh, Fulton County DA's uh, case that the information was released. The foreman, forewoman, foreperson, however you say that these days has done a lot of television. We'll talk about that in the second segment, and then we'll talk about some art. Does art have legal rights? We'll talk about that in the final segment. But first, we'll start with Alec Baldwin. His charge is being dropped to manslaughter. After I introduce you to Ray and Bruce, Bruce, how are you today, and how do folks get a hold of you if they need great legal service? Well, thank you for that, Tug, and great to be here today. It's easy to find me. I'm all over the Internet. Uh, you just, just Google lawyer, and it should come up with me. But uh, if you want to be more specific, uh, Bruce Hagen, H-A-G-E-N, you can call me, 404-202-2233. Hagen-law.com is the website. We've got a lot of great information there, useful things such as the uh, driving contract for parents of teenage drivers, one of the most important um, things we have on our website and certainly the most searched for thing on the website. Very useful tool if you are the parent of a new driver or soon-to-be driver. Uh, it's a good way for you to lay out some of the responsibilities um, for your young driver, some of your responsibilities as parent, and what the expectations are on both sides. Because as we know, um, tragedy is one of those things that uh, can occur quite too easily when someone is behind the wheel of a car. So go ahead and control the things that you can control, or at least take ownership, set out some clear rules. Uh, it'll make for a much better situation for you and your teenage driver. There you go, Ray. And when folks need great defense work, how do they get a hold of you? Thank you, Tug. Ray Judice Law, G-I-U-D is in David, I-C-E. I have almost all the vowels in my last name. <laughs> and uh, use your hands when you say it, but Italiano. And 404-964-4185. Bruce, one of the things about that contract, because I looked it over, which is, I think, from my world of criminal defense, DUI defense for young drivers, is the promise that the parents make to the, the young adults that if you're impaired, don't feel well, uh, for whatever reason, we're not going to ask, don't drive, you call us, we'll come get you. Yeah, no questions no asked. No questions asked. I like that. And I handle some of those cases where a young adult has gotten themselves into some uh, fluid that maybe shouldn't gone into their body at their tender age, and certainly they shouldn't be behind the wheel, but they're in a position where they take that risk and that risk is not only for their risk but for all of us on the roadway and of course their parents there you go if you need great legal advice call one of these two men if they don't practice in the field that you need help they will get you the best representation that you can find call their numbers and get great service rust prosecutors downgrade alec baldwin's uh charges to manslaughter there was a, a firearm it went off on the on the set killed a woman and there was in the beginning there was thoughts that you may be facing murder charges both of you said that that would not happen we'll have to do an, a segment of bruce and ray were right and we'll start 
with you, Bruce. Don't act so surprised. No, 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 no surprise at all. <laughs> I'm surprised we don't get to do it more. We do get it right uh, every now and then. So, uh, but yeah, and, and this one, um, which you know Ray can expound upon. In fact, I even think that this is a topic that may bring out some more of um, Ray's fancy Emory Law School oh, educated <laughs> Latin terminology. Uh, but this is an example of a prosecutor that, whether it was intentional, which seems to be the case, or unintentional, uh, overcharged. Uh, Mr. Baldwin. And um, the charges that were initially filed against him were charges that, if convicted, came with a minimum five-year sentence. Um, the correct correct charges, and Ray can explain why it's correct, um, you know, allow for up to 18 months if convicted. It's, it's a, it's, look, it's still a criminal charge. He still has a serious case against him. But the severity of it is nowhere near what it was purported to be initially. And quite frankly, in cases that don't involve celebrity defendants, the sort of case where typically you would never expect anybody, especially a first offender, to serve any time behind bars for charges like this. Yeah. And and as a criminal defense lawyer, one of the factors that I have to take in when I advise a client how to proceed, whether it's let's go to trial or let's take a plea bargain, are what are the maximums and what are the minimums? Uh, what's our worst day in court? What's our best day in court in front of a jury? And that jury issue will come up a little later in the show about taking that risk. Uh, but he, he went, Baldwin went from a charge that would have received a minimum, underlying minimum sentence of five years if he had lost in front of a jury, a trial, to a charge now that if he loses the uh, a, a trial in front of a jury it's a maximum of 18 months okay so so that's three and a half years difference between the minimum and the maximum and now I'm not advising mr. Baldwin to go to trial but that may change somebody's risk ass- assessment of what should I do or at least my advice uh, I will say that Bruce is being actually very kind to the prosecutorial team here they made a decision when they indicted mr. Baldwin to charge him with an with a crime, an enhancement statute that was the five years minimum, that was enacted by the state legislature after this incident happened. So a bunch of lawyers who went to law school, passed the bar, took an oath as prosecutors to do justice, sat in a room and said, "Hey, you know what? We've got this law that we could really stick it to him." Oh yeah, it was enacted after the incident happened. Who cares? Let's indict him. Well. This is why Mr. Baldwin and and what out there, that's the value of good lawyering. He hired some good lawyers and the judge said, Madam District Attorney, Mr. District Attorney, you can't do that. Yeah, and this was something that was done very quickly. And while I have no doubt they have some really high quality lawyers defending Alec Baldwin here, you could get a first year public defender in their very first job who's going to look at this and say that, hang on a second, this law didn't exist at the time this act took place. You can't be charged with a crime retroactively like that. There's a Latin phrase, Ray, what am I looking for? Ex post facto. There it is. There, there we go. Is that, that the Emory word you were talking There's about? that quality Emory law. Education. I didn't get a law degree at all, but if you would have presented that to me, I'd have been like, no. There's no way that that's going to work. Well, you know, we're much older. We watch a lot of Jeopardy. So, yes, this this is an ex post facto after the fact law. Yeah, I could I could have guessed that one. Put that on Jeopardy yeah. and said, Tug, if this guy commits a crime 
and it's the day before the law is enacted, is he going to be arrested for the crime? I'd be like, nope. What is unconstitutional? Exactly. It's crazy. <laughs> so now with these charges, without the enhancement, you know, you have to wonder really what the commitment is to go forward with it. It's a big name and a very embarrassing situation for the district attorney in New Mexico to have to deal with. So do they want to say that we're doubling down and staying committed to this to this action? Or do they want to just sort of recognize, all right, we need to take this in the shorts, get this thing out of the public eye as quickly as we can and we'll let everybody move take a plea to on. reckless conduct, misdemeanor, no low contendery, Friday at 445, just as the courthouse does. It's a $1,000 fine, Mr. Baldwin. <laughs> Dust <laughs> please, off your hands. Please Lee, don't, don't let yeah, this, I, the door hit you I, on I the way out. This is out in the wild west you know it's uh you need to be out of the county by sundown <laughs> <laughs> exactly right well banishment used to be part of sentences in the state of georgia oh you could be banned from the state for well banished? you could but then the legislature went back and said you can't ban completely from the state so you have to leave one county with the county way up in that corner that actually you have to go through tennessee to get into there's a, uh, there's a, a county. flintstone georgia <laughs> right. that would be uh, like yeah that, at least the city i'm trying to think that right. would be dade county yeah, that's georgia right. so total banishment is illegal, but mostly banished. <laughs> You're only mostly dead. <laughs> uh, no, it's, you know, and look, what what I don't like hearing are people saying, oh, you know, these, here's another example of a celebrity, rich person getting off on a technicality. You know, that's not what this is. This is pretty clear, basic rules of law. It's not some clause buried in the tax code that, you know, you sift through 600 pages and find one thing that allows you to get away with, with something that nobody else can get away with. This is a, just a clearly overreaching attempt to charge somebody in a manner that is inconsistent with every state's constitution and the federal constitution. Even to charge Baldwin with anything in this case, I think was overreaching and wrong. This is an accident. Is it negligence? Did somebody deserve to get sued and pay some money for people having live ammunition in a weapon that can fire live ammunition during a, you know, a scene of a movie? Somebody needs to write a check for that. Was there a criminal intent on Mr. Baldwin to take that weapon and harm anybody? Absolutely not. And, you know, that's that's another legal phrase is mens rea. You have to have the intent. Actus rea, mens rea. You have to have the intent to now commit just showing the off. <laughs> hey, I paid that tuition. I paid every nickel <laughs> of it. And none of that's there. So, again, that goes back to me, Bruce, just being infuriated about both the overreaching and the initial charge and then the, to overcharge and say, hey, we're not going to really look at the law. Because every prosecutor knows. And I was a prosecutor for two years in Cab County when I first got out of that Emory Law School. And you know what we did every spring right about this time of year? We watched what new laws were being percolated and voted on down at the state legislature because we needed to know them especially with the DUI laws that change every single year. What's going on? Are they changing the blood alcohol level? If so, can we? what do we do with the .12 cases that we have today and the blood alcohol level is reduced to 1.0 or the 1.0s, et cetera? So prosecutors watch the law faithfully as part of their job. All lawyers do. But really prosecutors, because you have to go get indictments based on the current law, and they violated that. Yep. And so, um, you know, this this is also something that reduced the charges against the woman who was the armorer uh, that is you know charged with the same crime Correct. as well. And so it, it, it works to her benefit, too. Um, you know, the, the two defendants have different defenses, maybe pointing the fingers at each other. Certainly Baldwin will point the fingers at her. Um, but in this issue, they're, they're really aligned together. Because she has a problem with the charge of basically what's called criminal negligence, that her negligence was so excessive. 
to allow live ammunition to be in this weapon when that's her job. That's not Baldwin's job. It really isn't. I, I don't get this. What was he supposed to do? I guess maybe you opened up the gun. And, and we've talked about this. It's, yeah. it's certainly not his job as an actor to Correct. know what is live ammunition versus uh, dummies, right? That's right. But as a producer, uh, and he was both on this project, he may have more of an obligation and potentially some criminal liability here if they're cut in corners in a way that's criminally negligent. Yeah. But that's not what he was charged with. That's correct. Yeah, there you go. We'll uh, leave it there, and when we continue on the other side of the break— a special grand jury that was investigating election interference by former President Trump was uh, they they passed down their recommendation for indictments. Uh, that was a story, but the bigger story is the forewoman Emily Coors is her name. We'll discuss her and the trial itself when we come back on Extra 106.3. This is your day in court. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back to your day in court with renowned lawyers Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice here on Extra 1063. My name is Tug Coward. Thank you for being with us. If you ever missed the show, you can catch it in podcast form at the Podcast Park. You can get it on Apple, you can get it on Android, uh, Google Play, the Amazon podcast platform, Spotify. You can get it anywhere you get podcasts. You can get this show. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Please do. I don't, I don't even know what that does for us, but go ahead and do it anyway. It, they say it's good. I want to jump into something that just happened uh, earlier this week. A jury here in Georgia, the Trump inquiry, recommended multiple indictments according to the forewoman. Her name was Emily Kors. She's 30 years old. Uh, she declined to name the people that were being indicted, but she has been on a marathon of TV shows. She was on MSNBC. She was on CNN. She was on Fox News. She was on NBC. She's hit everybody. I mean, she's been everywhere you can possibly be. The interesting thing about it is that she's not really said anything, but she's enjoying her time in the spotlight. To set the stage just a little bit, this is a, a special grand jury. This is not your typical grand jury that day after day hands down indictments for robberies and murder and car theft, etc. This grand jury was impaneled by uh, District Attorney Fawny Willis of Fulton County, Georgia. Full disclosure, I voted for her. I supported her. A fantastic lawyer. I had cases against her. We've all known her. We're happy to have her as our DA. But in this she, matter— She defeated her former boss, which is uh, never an easy thing to do. She went after someone, a 20-year incumbent, and defeated him. That's right, Paul Howard. This grand jury was impaneled by the district attorney to do an investigation and do a recommendation, not to indict. So that's—we don't have indictments coming out of this grand jury. The DA would either have to do special grand jury indictments in front of a, a sitting grand jury, or sometimes a district attorney can indict on their own for certain 
certain charges. So this, they were impaneled, and somehow Miss Coors became the foreperson of the 16-member grand jury. Whether she was voted, whether she accepted the role, <laughs> it seems like she wanted to be the foreperson. We were talking a little bit earlier off mic about, I'm going to use some of her video the next time one of my clients wants a jury trial to say, how would you like 12 people who act and behave like this deciding your fate? That's what you get. You don't get to pick your jury. You get stuck with a jury because we strike jurors. We've talked about that on other shows. So she is absolutely enjoying her moment in the sun. I would say at this point, from what I've watched, and I haven't gone back and read transcripts and, and vetted it word for word, I don't quite think she's violated her oath or is in contempt of court, but I think she's right on it. Yeah, and apparently she got clear instructions, as did the others, about what they could and could not say in the media. It's not forbidden for her to speak to the media, and it seems like once that light was turned green, uh, she just hit the gas. <laughs> Let's go! Uh, because she is is talking to anybody who will listen and really enjoying this tease of slowly spooling out some of the information and taking her time to ponder the her response to these questions in a cryptic way of the I-know-something-you-don't-know manner here that can lead to all kinds of speculation. I mean, these reporters are falling all over themselves trying to catch her in some sort of trap and read the tea leaves of what's coming. But we don't really even need that in order to get an idea of what's coming because even the redacted portion of their recommendations give us an idea of what's coming. And so, again, as Ray points out, this is a special grand jury. They don't get the opportunity to charge these potential defendants. That's up to the prosecutor to do, right? Fonnie Wills. Judge McBurney in his ruling on the issue of whether or not to release the full transcript of the full report to the media uh, when he said his reasons why he wouldn't do it talked about due process to the unnamed defendants which makes you believe there are going to be some defendants now he doesn't know that for sure but he certainly has read the full report the part of the report that talks about the special grand jury believing that several witnesses had committed perjury my friend Larry Polk who's an avid listener of this broadcast as is his wife Audrey pointed out that that was Roman numeral eight of this redacted report and we didn't get to see what was in Roman numerals I through VII, also known one through seven. So if that's the eighth assertion there, the, the idea that, well, maybe one through seven are even stronger or juicier or more impactful is kind of a presumption here. So, you know, we'll see what this is. This person coming forward right now and deciding that she wants to take this moment in the spotlight for herself, I think it puts a little pressure on Fonnie Willis to get moving. You know, you don't want some rogue grand juror out there just continuing to spill the beans and say more to the point that she goes beyond that line Ray's talking about. And now she has done something improper that may be used by savvy defense lawyers later to invalidate their findings. A couple quick things. Number one, just because the special grand jury, and we only have the four person saying this, keep in mind now, we may have another 15 members saying, hey, wait a second. A, I don't agree with her. Or B, I, I want some of that shine too. You know, CBS, how about putting me on? I've got some things to say. So this could really spiral out of control. I agree with Bruce. This makes the district attorney's job a little bit difficult because she has a different and her team. Their standard to seek an indictment is can we get a conviction? 
Is there a violation of the law? And keep in mind how difficult, and we've seen this in past political battles, perjury is actually, as President Clinton (laughs) might testify to, you have to be pejorious about the main issue that you're asked about, not about, well, what did I have for breakfast? Oh, I had a healthy breakfast. I had, you know, fruit cup and oatmeal, and now I swang by the the stop and go and got a, a cheese biscuit, okay? That's not perjury if you're asking me about then what happened, you know, then what happened when you robbed the bank. So, so there's a big grade up this hill to get indictments just because a special grand jury felt that somebody may have committed perjury and may not be on a central issue. Yeah, so to that point, another thing that was released from the report that was seemingly maybe just a political statement, but really much more than that, was that the special grand jury unanimously found that there was no widespread election fraud. Now, you might think, well, why does that matter? That's really not what they're there for. They're not they're not evaluating this issue of election fraud. There's no trial on that. There are no charges on that alone, right, are there? But going to Ray's point, if there's going to be perjury, if there's going to be a lie about something, you have to know that what you're saying is a lie at the time you say it. And so if they're hearing testimony from people like Rudy Giuliani or Mark Meadows, who was the former chief of staff, and you know there were 75 witnesses that spoke to them, and they think that those folks knew there was no widespread election fraud at the time they said, and particularly none in Georgia, that is very important to have the predicate for a perjury charge. So it's kind of in there at the end that we unanimously find that, yeah, you may find some folks who disagree whether this person was lying or not, but this this unanim- unanimity of, of opinion on that, that is very important on the subject because it does go to state of mind. You guys are too young to know who Gail Sayers was, <laughs> but Gail Sayers was a fantastic running back for the Chicago Bears. And what he did was he would throw out that leg and linebackers and cornerbacks would dive at it and then he'd pull it back. Watching her last night, I think it was Brooke Baldwin from CNN. She did such a great job in kind of letting this young lady, this four person, just keep talking. She just asked really great open-ended questions like you would do on cross-examination if you've got a witness who you think is just going to run and run and run and keep adding on. And the best thing, and, and Bruce, you know this technique at a deposition, is where you ask a question and the deponent answers it, and then you just sit there silently and stare at them. And then they feel like they've got to keep talking. Putting her in front of a microphone with a green light in the studio on, she's just going to keep talking. And I agree with you. Down there on uh, Pryor Street with the district attorney's offices in Fulton County on the eighth floor, I think, I think there's some meetings going on right now. One last thing. The two people that we've been talking about here, Judge McBurney, the Superior Court of Fulton County, and Madam District Attorney Fawny Willis, when they each made their presentation of the obligations and oath to special grand jury, I know both of these people, they were clear as clear can be. You don't misunderstand, especially Judge McBurney, and that's his job as a judge, to be as clear as he is clear. So if I was this four person, I'd get a lawyer right now. i go into a lawyer. To protect herself? Well, just to get some advice. Do you think she realizes she needs advice? You may be right. I yeah. think she's having too much fun. I, I, my thought was beyond getting a lawyer, she needs security. Uh, you, you know, I mean, n- now that you are out in the open mm-hmm. about this, um, the whack jobs know who you are, too. And and you can just be certain every last detail about her is now out in the open, and, and, and people are trying to figure out who she is to find her. And if, if 
This leads to charges against the big guy. There are going to be a lot of unhappy, unhinged people who can be dangerous. Everyone that appeared before the grand jury has legal counsel. And right now, their staff is looking at this lady's Twitter account, her Facebook account, her TikTok account, her social media. They're looking up old friends, neighbors, school teachers. What do we know about this lady? How can we show bias? How can we show that at the root of this investigative grand jury, she had an agenda? Did she not answer questions to the judge and the DA under oath? Honestly. She's opening up the door for a ground-level attack on the integrity of this special grand jury. One of the things she said, and I think it was the interview with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, was talking about how she ended up there, that she was somebody who's apolitical. She doesn't see herself aligned with any political party. She said she never voted. She didn't vote in the 2020 election. She didn't really follow a lot of this information. And Ray brings up a great point about not just this instance, but who the jurors are in your case. She is somebody who is sitting on this incredibly important panel that has implications that go to affect world history, right? I mean, this could be some of the biggest things if a former president is charged criminally. And here's this person who she didn't vote. She doesn't really follow what's going on. You're essentially asking the uninformed to sit here and, you know, make these determinations intentionally or unintentionally, not paying attention to what's going on in, in a time when how can you not pay attention to what was going on with the 2020 election you know so so, but that's it and and you know take let's let's take this into a totally different context right you're just taking your divorce case or your personal injury case to trial because you feel like whatever opportunity to resolve this thing is not fair and you know you want your day in court which you know ray and i are all about in fact what's the name of this show yeah your day in court thank you so so you know you're going there thinking that people will agree with me you know but it might my, my so peers clear. it's a slam dunk it's a slam dunk case <laughs> this this is an open and shut case they're going to agree with me and and then you know you get there and you realize like okay you know i i belong to kiwanis club and i i uh, go to church every Sunday and you know there are three other jurors who raise their hand that they also belong to the Kiwanis Club and they go to church and say it's like oh yeah I want those three and then you come to find out though hang on a second the defense just knocked those three out of the panel you know and and now I'm left with these other folks who I really didn't want them uh, you know they they strike me as being completely uninterested in in my life uh, you know well guess what I mean that that's how this works that the people who end up sitting in judgment uh, you know in a jury trial. They they don't have a strong bend one way or the other. You know, they're they're sort of like groaning that it's it's one of two things. Either they're there and they really don't want to be there or maybe they really want to be there. They really want to be there. And that's what this lady strikes me like. Miss Coors is like somebody who really wanted to be there. I mean, some of her comments about being so entertained by these witnesses and, you know, running up to shake Giuliani's hand because he was like this mythical figure to her and, and you know, the banter with some of the witnesses with, like uh, David Ralston. And, and yeah, something about wearing with uh, Lindsey Graham, but wearing Santa a Christmas hat, hat or, yeah, yeah Santa hat, yeah, that's what it was. You know, it, it's it's so... I don't, bizarre. I don't, it is bizarre. It's and, a little Stockholm Syndrome. Kind it, of. There's an argument to be made that she became enamored with her role. Uh, you know, you don't have a lot of power as the four person, but you know, you're the four person. You probably sit in the same seat every time, and maybe you decide whether we're having pizza tonight or, you know, for the special meal. Um, I, I one little thing, and and I don't. I hope there's some young folks listening to this show, but she's thirty. I hate to. I Life just got to be honest. Right, right. Here we are, a thirty-year-old person who, as Bruce says, 
who apparently lives in Fulton County and is kind of unaware of this case or these allegations or what was alleged to have happened in the last election uh, is the foreperson and now opining and giving expressions. But I believe we're going to see, just like on the OJ jury and some other big trials, we're going to see all 16 of these folks speak up or write something or give interviews. And by the Sunday talk show should be interesting. I was going to ask you, because you always talk about picking juries, right? So would there be a reason to pick someone like this versus not picking someone like this? Because you always talk about how you're you're not actually picking a jury, you're actually getting rid of people. Why wouldn't she be the first one to go? Yeah, and, and in the kind of cases that Ray and I try where, you know, we're not talking about a grand jury, right? We're talking about uh, a jury trial on a criminal or civil issue. Um, the jury selection process is much different, right? Here, uh, you know, they show up if they're qualified, meaning they live in Fulton County, <laughs> typically not much more beyond that. And and then they're answering the questions about hardship for being on a grand jury and, and understand also that the grand jury process, even the special grand jury process, is completely one-sided in terms of the information that's presented. There's no cross-examination. There, there's no mm. defense because nobody's been charged with anything. There's no defense with an opportunity to put up other witnesses, to give other information. It's it's strictly one-sided. So, you know, you get somebody like this who, you know, raises her hand. Yeah, I'll be the fourth person. I'm happy to be in, the, in this panel. You know, that's that kind of avid enthusiasm and excitement for the role is typically not something that you're going to see in one of the cases that we're handling, um, nor is it anybody that you, you necessarily really want as one of your jurors. Yeah, this is what's called, a, the person's called a loose cannon. You know where the <laughs> phrase comes from? Back in the day, the cannons on ships were chained down, so they didn't roll around on the deck. When it's rolling around on the deck, it could take out anybody or anything. And to have a juror like her, if you can strike her, because you just don't know where she's going. Maybe she's the most helpful juror for your case. Maybe she's harmful, but she's certainly going to be impactful. And since you don't know which way direction it's going, that loose cannon, we're throwing her over the ship. Yeah, if, if you can. I mean, if you, you can, understand right. that, you know, I may <laughs> I may walk in and typically I'm, I'm dealing with a 12-person jury. Mm -hmm. And that means they're going to be 24 jurors from which to choose because each side in the civil case gets to eliminate six of them. And then you get down to the 12 that are left. Sometimes they'll they'll add, they'll add others in case somebody gets disqualified. So maybe you got 30 or 36 or in a really big complicated case you might get 50 or 100. Um, but, you know, let's say that the first 24 um, none of them can be dismissed for cause, meaning none of them are related to either of the parties or none of them say that, you know, hey, I, you know, I can't be fair and impartial for a legitimate reason. So you got 24 or so that are candidates to be picked here. What do I do if I've got 10 of those that are loose cannons, you know, or 10 of those that I think that these are going to be really bad for my side of the case? I only get to eliminate six. I can hope the other side gets rid of the other four that I don't like too, but there's a good chance I'm going to get stuck with four that I don't like. I have to hope that, okay, out of the other 14, maybe maybe they're really good for me and I like all of them, and the other side can only eliminate six, right? And they're stuck with eight they don't like. So, so you know, this is the kind of... Um, it, it's it's an art. It's a science to some degree, but it, but it's an art when you're talking about jury selection and deselection, and then and then it's it's kind of just random too, as far as what people are going to do and how they're going to react. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to predict 
how they're going to interpret the, the information before them based on a really small sample size of information. Yeah, and then there's some other, you know, just to dig a little deeper in the weeds about jury selection or striking, there's a couple different formats. One is you, you question, voir dire, all of the jurors, and then sit down at the table. One side gets a strike, the bailiff brings over that piece of paper with the jury list that has a, a line through juror number 14, and you go, oh, I wanted to strike that jury, that's great. So he, you know, opposing counsel used one of his strikes on it, that saves one for me, right? Uh, the, the other kind of jury selection is where you strike as you go along, and that is really difficult. It's a whole different tactical uh, approach as opposed to sitting at the table. The judge usually gives you 10 minutes to go over your notes with your client. And, you know, I give jurors A's, B's, C, D grades as we go along. I'm sure Bruce has his system. And I always make my client approve it so they can not tell me what we picked a bad jury. I'm like, no, I got your initials right here. You, you love this juror, remember? <laughs> remember the one that gave you the evil eye when they brought out the verdict? You, you thought she was great. Yeah, my, uh, my, my list <laughs> is, is, you know, each juror's name, and I just write yes, no, maybe. Um, okay. and, and typically um, the ones that I say no we're going to get rid of the ones that I say yes. The other side gets rid of, and and we're left with all the maybes. You know, yeah, I mean that's, that's very true. because most most of the time the lawyers, you know, we we tend to see things the same way. Now, um, one of the things that we do on the cases that warrant it um, is something called a focus group, where we will um, go prior to the trial away from the courthouse and try to draw together a representative sample of of the types of people you might see showing up in that county for jury service. And it's called a focus group. And you'll run by them issues related to the case that that are the hinge issues, right, the critical ones. Um, and it's not because you necessarily need them to tell you how much is this case worth, right? But you kind of want to see, all right, what arguments work? What arguments don't work? What, what do they like to hear? What do they don't like well, to hear? Well, how's your story and selling? Then, and then, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> really it's an opportunity to listen to people talking about it, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it you can kind of from there draw some assumptions that, okay, these – you know, maybe it's something like, okay, working class men between the ages of 35 and 60 seem favorable to us. Um, you know, highly educated uh, young people don't seem like they're catching these arguments or, or this seems to sell with, you know, women more than men or vice versa. But at any rate, it, it gives you information and feedback that you can then use to try to, again, hope that, you know, speaking very stereotypically and very much on uh, making these uh, assessments based on a small sample size of information, you can project some of that same thing just based on these factors that, that you have gathered. Uh, and some of them, like especially if you use a focus group study group, and people may have seen the show Bull, the TV show. Of course, show. yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they TV show Bull, in case you're not familiar, involved a company that they specialized in um, helping the team find the ideal juror for their case. But they also did all kinds of stuff that you see on TV, like surveillance on jurors and following them home and getting into their personal lives. It was it went way too far. In fact, I, I never watched a single episode of that show without getting furious. You I'm know, sure about, about what was going on. But, you know, we we try to make these um, determinations based on a very small thing. Um, if anybody's read the book Blink, the Malcolm Gladwell book, you know, the whole idea of your first impression is generally accurate. You know, it's like, okay, I, I've been doing that with juries for 30 years. That's right. That's what keeps you safe, though, right? That's and, what and when you, puts you in the best position with great legal absolutely. representation. And we have the resources on a big case to do that. You will have the focus group or the, or the mock jury, which is not only are you trying to test out your themes – 
of the storytelling, which is kind of what a trial is about, is telling your client's story. Uh, and But how the, how do those stories and arguments play out in the jury room during the deliberation of the mock jury, which is extremely interesting. Uh, I, was, I was lucky enough to have several mentors, and one is a lawyer who's passed away untimely, E. Lake Rumsey. And E. Lake, also a highly decorated Vietnam War veteran. But Lake, back in the day, Lake would just start talking to anybody he could talk to about his upcoming trial. The mailman, the shoeshine guy in the lobby of the, I think he was in the Candler building downstairs. That, that's where I met him. I, I right? worked in the Candler building right? with him and uh, knew him then. Uh, Rumsey and Ramsey. And, and a tremendous tremendous character <laughs> i mean just just one of the most delightful people you'd ever meet and a fantastic trial lawyer but that's what he did he'd get 10 or 15 minutes of somebody's attention and see how they were responding or not responding and mr rumsey that's crazy talk well okay you know <laughs> uh, now you have some feedback and and he was a master of that final thoughts on this what happens in this whole this whole trial do, do they go and indict who gets indicted anybody do you have any good guesses do you think yeah i think pretty soon we're going to be doing a, an episode of your day in court with uh ray judice and bruce hagan that focuses on this very topic <laughs> right. and and what to expect next because um i there will be indictments okay there All almost right. has to be politically and and, and i and I, let me just say this in defense of uh, madam <laughs> district attorney willis she's not going to indict just to indict because this four person put pressure on her She's going to indict because, as uh, Deep Throat and Watergate said, follow the money, follow the evidence. That's what she's going to do. doesn't mean she's going to get convictions, but she's going to do what's right. When we come back on your day in court in Vermont, a school artist fights over a mural that he painted depicting slavery. Does it get to stay or does it have to go? We'll talk about that next with Ray and Bruce on Extra 106.3. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a Mad Men's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back. Final segment of Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice here on Extra 106.3. An interesting story out of Vermont. A school artist fights over this mural of slavery. It was created to depict the brutality of enslavement, and some people think it's offensive. The school wants to permanently cover it. However, the artist says it's historically important to have, and he's taken this matter to court. Yeah, and this is a really tricky issue because it's a private university. This is not public property. This is not taxpayer money. This is a private school that back in the early 90s, it commissioned this artist to do a mural, and he submitted, and it's a you know very much an anti-slavery uh, piece of art, um, but it depicts images of slavery um, in this artist's style, which 
1992 was put up there and installed, and and mo- more, most importantly here, painted directly on the walls at this law school. So it's not something that can just be removed without completely destroying the artwork. So now cut to 20 teens, uh, people complain they find this offensive. The administrator of the school is like, hey, you came here to get educated. You didn't come here to get into these little side battles. Now cut to 2020, and you have the incident with George Floyd, and everybody is reevaluating how they perceive some of these things. And now the school itself, in addition to the students and faculty, are pressing that we find this offensive and we want it removed. Well, the artist, apparently invoking a federal statute that I don't think anybody in this room or maybe anybody other than the artist and his lawyer knew about, invokes this federal statute that says that, you know, you can't destroy this person's piece of artwork um, if it's going to damage their reputation, if it's of historical value or significance. And so it's protected under this federal law. And so you have this tension between, you know, who owns the artwork? The, The artist has been paid for his work, presumably. It's housed at this private institution that owns it, presumably. But how can they be stopped from um, their decision to refuse to display it? Well, this has made it all the way up to the Second Circuit Court and is likely to make it to the U.S. Supreme Court um, unless it's resolved. The temporary resolution is that they have covered it. I say that seems to be the obvious. Which is the obvious thing, but, but it's still there, right? So they can't just undo it. So instead, they have something covering it that doesn't penetrate through the mural in any way it doesn't affect it it's just hidden you know so so that's where we are and this is why people have lawyers i guess yeah i mean it's an interesting uh, piece of law that i was unaware of and, and not that uh, i should have been aware of it's not something I, I would get a case like this but you know i find i find it a, a fascinating uh, argument because what if this building burned down or what if the law law school got a big uh, alumni uh, donation, and they decided to tear down the building and build a new building. Are they required to preserve this? Apparently, the artist tried to have the mural removed, but it was going to cause m- more damage than than do good. Uh, like the Last Supper in Milan, it's actually kind of a fresco, right? It's in the, it's in the cement. It can't be moved or removed or, or 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 put on a truck. So there's a lot of interesting problems. Some of which are just logistical problems. Um, you know, we're. The, the, I think the bigger question is that you know, what are we doing? Uh, I can, you know, there's there's removal of Confederate statutes, statues. Uh, there's removal of Frank uh, Teddy Roosevelt in downtown New York City. <laughs> Teddy Abe Rose- Lincoln. Abe Lincoln. Are we going to tear down the Washington Monument? Uh, I mean, you know, our founding fathers did have slaves. They had slaves. They, you know, they had slaves. It is true. Yeah, it and is and true. so there is a difference though in in how public property and displays mm-hmm. on public property or treaty versus sure. private property. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just reading how in Georgia, uh, the legislature was looking to put a statue of Clarence Thomas in front of the Capitol. Um, and, and in my mind, I'm just thinking, how many years is it going to take? How many more horrific, in my opinion, rulings from Clarence Thomas is it going to take before people are going to start calling for the removal of the Clarence Thomas d- display? It, it, it's, you know, here he is, a, a black Supreme Court justice from the state of Georgia that, you know, the state saying, let's celebrate this person. Uh, you know, it's, it's somebody who really honors the state of Georgia. And there are others just like his legacy is such that it does dishonor to the state of Georgia. We're going to get into that argument, if, if not today. Next year, the yeah, year after, you know, the, there'll be lawsuits. You know, you can see it coming here with this, this idea that you're th- that the federal law, a federal law, would prevent a private property owner from doing what they want with their property, and and essentially saying that you never own this. You know, even though you've paid the artist to do it, 
it's not yours. It, it belongs to the world, and the artist has some level of control over it. It seems weird to me that, you, you know, you, you can actually say that because this is historically significant, the, the person who owns the building is incapable of just, t you know, taking a roller and, and literally, in this case, whitewashing over it. Yeah, and, and of course then it becomes, is there going to be an act of vandalism? Are there going to be, is this a protest center now? I mean, where it should be the school of law where people go in there and read books and, and study and are productive. Are they marching in front of a mural? Which, and I, I just looked at the artwork and, and I had not seen it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I can see where some people may say, okay, it depicts African-Americans in a, in a, it's a relatively... I don't want to say the word clownish figurines, but they're not, the bodies are, I think the word was Sambo-like, you know, cartoonish looking. Yeah, but, but, but that know, was look, the style of art. Right, and that's yeah. the style. So, and so even getting, like reading the statute, it's beyond mm -hmm. the stylistic mm -hmm. uh, format of the artwork, it's, and, and more so to significance and that sort of thing. And I just, before we go, do want to give a special shout out to uh, power listener Bob Dietz up in- Big uh, Bob! Bob! Up in Belmont, New Jersey. <laughs> uh, Big Bob Dietz is the power listener who brought this issue to my attention, suggested this would be a topic worthy of our discussion. So thanks for listening, Bob. Like and subscribe. Before we get to how you can get a hold of these excellent lawyers in case you run into legal troubles of your own, can they can they not just give the art back? Just be like here, we're gonna we're gonna take down the wall. Come get it. So maybe there is a way to do that, but if this is a structural wall, I don't know how you'd go about doing that. And it seems like quite a lot to to say. We're you know it's a thirty two foot long. Yeah, there's four you know, panels. Uh, yeah, so it's a four panel scene of, yeah. of you know the, the underground railroad leading to liberation. But, right, but but if he's so dedicated to it, come get it. This this is yours. You can have it. Well, that's, take I, it that's back. not yeah. a bad idea. Yeah. It's over here on the loading dock. Come I'm get just your truck. See, this is my truck. So good. It's it sounds like a, a Solomon approach to, to, uh, to deal with this. It makes too much sense, Todd. Yeah, I know, right? You know, That's the reason it'll never the Supreme work. Court. That's right, it'll never work. All right. If you run into legal troubles and you need great help, I can get you the help. And first, I need to get you the number for the man who can provide that help. We'll start with Bruce Hagan. Thanks so much. And uh, easy to find me, a special number that I only give out to the listeners of this show. It's my cell phone number, 404 202-2233. You can call or text me at that number anytime. You can also email me, Bruce, at Hagen-Law.com. Uh, I do personal injury cases, but if I can't help you with your trouble, I'm sure I know somebody who can. Ray? Ray Judice Law, 404-964-4185. I've got a, a working, functioning website that tells you a little bit about me and my team, my fantastic group of lawyers and paralegals and investigators that... Uh, we we work a lot, and we like to work on people's cases and try to help them. But just like Bruce, uh, if you've got a case or an in, a question that I can't handle or answer with a real good answer, I'm going to send you to somebody that, that can. And uh, I don't know how many lawyers there are in Metro Atlanta, several thousand. Uh, the Atlanta Bar has a referral service. But probably a pretty good referral service is sitting right at this table between Bruce and I of about 80 years in the practice of law. In Metro Atlanta, we pretty much know between the two of us, we about know everybody. So it's easy to uh, find the help you need, but uh, quickly the phone number in case they need to get sure. You. Thanks four zero four nine six four four one eight five. There you go. This is your day in court on Extra one zero six three. And as I said earlier, if you ever miss an episode, go download it, become a, a subscriber, like and subscribe as Bruce suggested, which is uh, beneficial to us in some way or other. We're still learning uh, how that exactly goes together. But we want you to uh, listen to the podcast if you ever miss the show. And it'll be on Apple, Android, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, you can get your day in court 
with Bruce Hagen and Ray Judice. This is Extra 106.3. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season. 